0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We spent some time this morning just talking about how to discern God's will, how to find God's will for your life. And in Mark chapter 3, I want to look at a a section in this chapter that gives us a big part of the picture of what God's will is for our life. In Mark 3, I'm going to start in verse 13. Verse 13. Just to give you a little background here, Jesus and his disciples have been, well really Jesus has been healing people. His disciples, uh, he had a following uh, and it says people just kind of stormed where Jesus was. It got so busy and it got so tight that Jesus had to get on a little rowboat out in the sea so that he didn't become crushed. The more people heard about Jesus and how compassionate He was and how, and His abilities to be able to heal them from their afflictions, from their diseases, from the things that they had been stricken with, the more people heard about it, the more people started coming to Him. And it says that they were coming literally from every direction. In the middle of this, it says in verse 13, in the middle of this crowd, Jesus took a time... And it says that he goeth up, this is verse 13, into a mountain, and he calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and then he'll go all the way through verse 19, and he'll give you the names of the twelve apostles there, the twelve men that Jesus would call to himself in a close way. I'm not going to read their names, you can do that but I want to look at the account here and Mark and maybe look at what some of the other Gospels have to say about it. But this section in particular gives us some insight further into what God's will is for our life. Look at the wording here. He goes into a mountain, and he calls unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained the twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. Let's look at a few of the words here just to kind of get an understanding of the passage, and then we'll make our application The first part, the idea that he called them or he calleth, that word calleth just means it would be just as if I called you by name. just to call out to someone. But the idea is that you call to them with an intended purpose. So that as Jesus called these men up to the mountain, he called them up there with a purpose in mind, an intended purpose for what they were going to accomplish when they got there and what they would do. It also says that they were for himself. He called them for himself. Whom he would. The idea there is also whom he desired. The idea that he would or whom he would is the idea that he desired to choose them. He did not, as he was looking for his disciples, he did not, as he was looking for his apostles, he did not take applications. And, and as I say that, I don't say that just to kind of make a point about election uh, or predestination. I say that because in these days, the, the custom was, if you were a rabbi, if you were a master, if you were someone who was a, a teacher and you wanted a following, uh, well, then people usually did. If they were impressed with you and you had a uh, following as far as crowds, people usually did put in some form of an application. They would want to be your pupil. They would want to sit at your feet. They would want to learn from you. You, but here's Jesus, and he doesn't do any of that. You can, uh, you know, think about what some of these guys who wanted to be known as a reputable rabbi would have done I mean they would have done what anybody did you you get a bunch of folks that want to follow you you get a bunch of applications in and it only makes sense that you just skim off the top to get the best that comes there but that's not what Jesus does really we could take the opposite of what Jesus does Jesus is surrounded by people that we might think would be able to skim off the top and instead of that Jesus doesn't even consider the applications there there weren't any but you know what I mean he didn't consider any of the guys that would have been the top tier folks instead he skims off the bottom and he says come up here with me And then as he does that, it says they came unto him. They separated themselves from the crowd to him. And then the next word in verse 14 that describes what Jesus did, it says, and he ordained 12. He ordained 12. The word ordained just means to make, just simply to make. It's the same word in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the uh, Hebrew Bible. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. So it's not just to make or to fashion in the sense that you took something that was there and you made something out of it, but it's to create, to take something that did not exist and bring it into existence. It says, he ordained the twelve. And then whenever he did that, he says he did that or he ordained them that that's for the purpose of that they would be with him. You see, Jesus' purpose here, before we get to anything else on what the calling on these men's lives were, the first purpose that it gives of Him calling the twelve, creating in them the capacities to be the apostles that He wanted them to be, it says for the first purpose that we receive, that they might be with Him, that they might have fellowship with Him. Whenever you uh, read in Mark chapter one, at the end of the chapter, Jesus has several encounters where he says, "Follow me, follow me, follow me." And in the Greek, the phrase there is not just "follow me," but it's "follow with me," "follow along with me." And the idea is walking side by side with Christ, walking with Jesus. And it's the same thing here. He ordained them that they should be with him, and then the idea, or the next phrase, is that he might send them out to preach to have power, and all the other things it describes there. This morning we looked at finding God's will for our life and kind of seeing some concepts and some principles that the Bible gives us to make those day-to-day decisions. I wanted this afternoon give you a clear view of what God's will is for you as a Christian on a regular basis. And we get a picture of that here. As Christ calls the disciples up to Himself, He calls them for two things. Number one, He calls them for fellowship. And number two, He calls them for service. He calls them up that they might be with Him. That's fellowship. That He might send them out. That's service. And I want you to know that as you look at those, the order in which those are, are laid out here are here are, is important. Not necessarily because we're worried about the way it falls out here, but if you think about what empowers service in a Christian, what makes a person effective as a Christian, there is no such thing really as an effective Christian that does not have fellowship with God. And when I say fellowship with God, I mean an ongoing regular practice of having fellowship with God. There's just no such thing. There's no such thing as a strong church full of members that are not having regular fellowship with God. It's difficult to get there. I mean, when I say to get there, it's not like we get there and we've arrived, but it's difficult to make the time and the discipline to be able to do that. So I want to tie this to this morning's message in the sense that If you're looking for God's will for your life, if you're trying to discern God's will for your life, and in the middle of all that discernment, and in the middle of of, of trying to learn what God's Word says, and how to apply God's Word to your life, and learning all the practical ins and outs of what it means to handle the Scriptures wisely, if you're trying to do that outside of being in fellowship regularly with Christ, you haven't gained much. You haven't really gained much. Because in the end, whenever we think about what it means to be discerning, and when we think about what it means to have wisdom, Wisdom is not necessarily knowledge to be attained. Biblically, whenever we look at wisdom, wisdom is found in a person, and that's Jesus Christ. His wisdom personified through the Proverbs and Colossians, he would tell us that he's all the treasures of wisdom. All those are found in Christ. And so I want to encourage you this afternoon, just for a short time. John told me I could take twice as long this afternoon as I did this morning, but I'm going to bow out on that and just take a little short time here and encourage you to... Pursue and continue to pursue fellowship with Jesus Christ on a regular basis. In First Corinthians chapter one, First Corinthians chapter one, verse nine, it says, "God is faithful." by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I just want to take that one verse there. As Paul's speaking to the Corinthians, if you know anything about the church at Corinth, and you do, you know that they were a messed up group of folks. They were, they were people that had great need for direction on the practical sense, but also great need to have their lives transformed. Paul would start out by telling them, this is what you've been called to. You've been called by a faithful God unto fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to have fellowship? A lot of times we throw words around like that, and we're not really exactly sure what we're talking about. Maybe not you, but I do. You hear you hear, hear messages on fellowship. You have a fuzzy idea in your mind about what fellowship might mean, but if you really had to define it and you had to really get down and... and Explain it in a way that you could actually go use. Sometimes it's difficult. So let's establish, what are we talking about? We're talking about fellowship. Is it a feeling that you get? Is it a, a hope maybe that you might have? Obviously, that's not what it is. To have fellowship with somebody means to have a commonality with somebody. It means to walk the same way someone else is walking. Brother Jimmy Barber says it this way, and it's kind of funny, but it's a good picture. He says, if you want to have a good word picture of fellowship in your mind, you think about a bunch of fellers on a ship. They're all headed the same way. They've all got the same direction in mind. If you're thinking about a rowboat, you've got three guys in a rowboat or how many of you guys fit in those things and they're all rowing the same way, going in the same direction. They are in fellowship with one another. They've got a common goal in mind. They've got common, just a commonality in mind. So what does it mean to be in fellowship with Christ? What does it mean if we're going to have fellowship with His Son, that God who is faithful, who's called us into fellowship with His Son, is there a way that we can gauge that? Is there a way that we can gauge whether or not we're walking in fellowship with Christ in actuality, or does it just depend on how we feel? Well, I would submit that the way we know if we're walking in fellowship with Christ is if we are commonly working toward the same goals in our life that Christ is working toward in our life. The goal that God has over you, big picture-wise, is that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that you would get to the point to where you say, it's not my will, but it's His will that I want to be done. I didn't come here to, to, to work out my own agenda, but I came here to do the will of the Father. And so what does it mean as we narrow it on down to be in fellowship with Christ? Well, it means this, you're pursuing Righteousness. And whenever you find yourself in a place to where righteousness is not being pursued, you repent quickly, ask God for mercy, and start pursuing righteousness again. It means that you're pursuing sanctification. It's pretty much saying the same thing in a different way. You're pursuing a life that is lived dependently on God. It means you're making time to to spend time with God, not only in His Word, but also in prayer. You're opening yourself up so that there's a real relationship between the real you and the real God. Not, when I say that, I say that because it's not just the, the you that you want everybody to know and the God that you hope that's actually there, but it's the real you meeting the real God. It's the one that said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. the one that said, I know who you are anyway, so as you come to me, come to me with the real you, the mess and all, the things about you that you don't want anyone else to know. You can come to me that way. As a matter of fact, that's the only way God says you can come to me because I already know what's there. I already know who you are. Now, as we get to talking about having fellowship with God, a lot of times this can kind of be uncomfortable because you think, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Maybe not, but I've thought that in the past. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I feel kind of silly doing this. Seems like I probably should have been doing this a long time ago, and I hadn't. So maybe start now, or maybe not. Maybe just fluff it off. Let me me give you some things that sometimes mask themselves for fellowship. Just because you have an accurate view of theology does not mean you're walking in fellowship with the Lord. Just because you know accurately what the Bible says systematically and what would pass off as accurate orthodox doctrine does not mean that you're walking in fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship is not necessarily what you know. It's what you're doing, how you're living. Says you've been set apart for fellowship. Now, do you need accurate theology to be able to walk in fellowship? Well, sure. A commonality means that you're thinking the same thing. It means that you're working toward the same thing. But it does not. Fellowship does not just take place in your mind. It takes place in your life. Now, for the Christian, you've already been placed in a position to where you are positionally in fellowship with Christ. Ephesians 1.4, since he's chosen you and he's placed you in Christ, then we have all blessings in all spiritual places. That's not just Ephesians 1, four, but that's the sum of the, what the first half of that chapter talks about. You have access to all those blessings because you are in Christ. So positionally you are in fellowship. Practically, could be a different story. And so I would ask you this afternoon, how much time do you make throughout the day in the mornings, in the afternoons, whenever, to make sure that you are in daily fellowship with Christ. How much time do you take to say, Lord, I messed up again. Lord, I need your strength here. Lord, I need your wisdom here. Lord, I need your your, your guidance here. I need you to open up your word to me. I need you to help me to deal with this difficult person that I've been dealing with for a long time and, and just really can't figure out how to do it. Or, Lord, would you... I'm asking you to cleanse my heart of Psalm 51 fellowship times where you're saying, Lord, cleanse me of my iniquity, purge these things out of my heart. How many time, How much time do you make to, to be able to sit honestly before God and just pour that stuff out? If you're not doing that, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you outside of that, that, everything we talked about this morning doesn't really mean anything. Wisdom outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ amounts to a bunch of foolishness. It really does. just amounts to a bunch of foolishness. And When I say a relationship, I'm talking about an active relationship back and forth between the two of you. And Colossians chapter three, verse sixteen. Colossians chapter three, verse sixteen. This kind of gives us an idea of, of uh, practicing what it means, part of what it means to be moving toward fellowship with Christ. Colossians three sixteen, familiar verse to us. But let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, if you want you know just some basic direction on how to move toward fellowship with christ there's a good place to start and can I say this about fellowship i don 't know about you usually, I just kind of try to try to present things and say things the way that address some of the struggles my own struggles that i've had a lot of times when I think about fellowship, I think about people that have this some kind of a deep special Relationship with the Lord that they have because they're on this different plane and they're doing these complex things and they're able to do just things that I don't really understand. Can I tell you that really what it means to have fellowship with the Lord, what it takes to have fellowship with the Lord, is pretty basic. There's not a lot of complicated practices that go on in order to have fellowship with Christ. You realize the model that we have and what we're what we're looking at uh, in Mark chapter three is what amounts to twelve you know, ordinary guys that were probably on the lower end who Christ called to just have a relationship with Him, regular fellowship. There was nothing special about it. Practically, in your own life, if you want to know what it means, it's being in the Word. Not only being in the Word, but using the Word to, to not just gain biblical knowledge, but gain more of an understanding of who God is. How do I live before God? How do I respond to God? The same idea in the Psalm 103 passage, the idea that God does not repay us for our iniquities. What do I do with that? And how do I have fellowship with God and Christ through that? Well, I thank God that although I'm going through a trial right now, it's not because you're mad at me. It's not because you're punishing me for something. It's not because you're judging me according to my sin. But, Lord, I can interpret this moment in my life that's so painful and so uncomfortable as being you if we take some other passages in mind as being you prompting me and bringing me to full maturity in Jesus Christ. That's different than saying, I believe Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for good, and that being that. To bring it down on a daily level to specific situations in your own life. Now, that's not all of what it means, but that's part of what it means. Daily prayer time. Anybody in here have trouble with prayer? Yeah, of course you do. Prayer's difficult sometimes, isn't it? You know, if we were to just be real honest, we would use words that we don't really want to use as far as having people know what we actually think about prayer. It can be hard. Sometimes it can be boring. We feel like we're the only ones talking and we don't really feel like we're getting anywhere. Sometimes it can feel like we're uh, just coming up with something to say just so we can have something to say, just to have something to say and feel good that we got that time in for the day. A lot of times we just kind of going through the motions. Well, I want you to know you can use those times and you can use those opportunities to have fellowship with Christ. Can I tell you how to have fellowship with Christ whenever your prayer time becomes boring? You say, God, this is boring. Would you bless me to be able to have a fruitful time of prayer with you? Would you bless me to be able to relate to you in an accurate way? Would you give me an accurate understanding of who you are? Would you teach me to... to a lot of times things get boring when we're just going through the motions. I could have a conversation with you and it, would be, it could be really, really boring. Most of the time it could be that way because either you or I are trying to conceal something or we're trying to frame the conversation in such a way that you think I'm doing it so that you think I'm an intellectual or because you think I'm, I want you to think I'm way more spiritual than I am or I want you to think something about me that just completely is not true. I want you to know a lot of times when our prayer time is boring with God, it's the same way. We want God to think we're way more spiritual than we really are. And the truth of the matter is he knows we're not. A lot of times we try to frame our prayers in such a way that make us sound like maybe they ought to put us in a Puritan book somewhere and and the poetic language just flow and we're thinking maybe God thinks this is one spiritual guy right here, one spiritual girl, and she really knows. And he knows it's not true. And so if you want to have fellowship with God, if you want to have commonality with God, you've got to come to God the way Jesus described the people that he came for as as a sinner that's coming to him that's being called to repentance. That presupposes the fact that we've got something to confess. I've never had a boring prayer time where I was confessing sin. I never have. It's been uncomfortable prayer time sometimes, but it's never been boring because it's always been real. I've never had a boring prayer time where I was asking for grace and asking for mercy to overcome that sin that I just confessed. You see, that stuff's not difficult. It's just uncomfortable. And so I would encourage you, as you think about what it means to have fellowship with God, that Christ is calling you to have fellowship with Him. Really, all that means is the real you meets up with the real Him, and you all have a real conversation and spend real time together, and hopefully, real fellowship occurs. It will not happen the other way around. It will not happen whenever the dressed-up me meets the God that I hope is there and try to convince Him of who I know I'm not, and then walk away and pretend like something's happened. That is not fellowship. It's not. So, if the Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, then we're learning about God's character and we're responding to God based on what we know about God and who He is. If He's a God of mercy, then I don't have to be ashamed of being honest with Him. I also want to point out the fact uh, fellowship, as we saw in the passage, called him up that He might be with them and then He might send them out. Called him for fellowship, called him for service. Fellowship has to precede service. You can't be a professional Christian. It just won't work. A church will never grow in a real way. You might grow numerically, but a church will never grow. There will not be the spiritual growth that ought to occur in a church where people are only focused on all the externals. How many people can we bring in here? How many, how many pieces of the worship or the service can we match up? How many this and how many that and what this and what that and what can we change up to make it look better and what can we change up to be more appealing and what can we change up, blah, blah, blah. All of that outside of members who are at home, experiencing fellowship with God, focusing on their own personal fellowship with God, if it's not there at home, it will not be here in the corporate service. If it's not there in the individual lives, it won't be here when you gather. i just give you my opinion on that. I really do think that's why there are so many splits and so many fractions and so many things that go on, not only in the Primitive Baptist, but just in Christianity in general. And I think it's because people get more concerned about pushing their agenda. They get more concerned about getting their way. They get more concerned about being the leader they think they need to be. They get more concerned about whatever it is they think is so important and less concerned about their own personal fellowship with Christ, their own personal holiness before God, their own walk with the Lord. Knowledge outside of a relationship will produce a hard heart. If you don't believe that, you can read Mark chapter 3, the first little section that goes on there where the Pharisees are enraged at the fact that Jesus would heal a man on the Sabbath day. They knew everything they needed to know. They knew it was not unlawful for them to pick the wheat and eat the eat the wheat, the disciples on the way there. Um, they knew that it was not unlawful for him to actually heal that man if they were to take the law the way it was. But whenever they became more concerned about their own agenda than they did God's Word, they got so mad at Jesus for healing that man that they wanted to murder him. They wanted to do, They wanted to kill a guy on the Sabbath because he healed a man on the Sabbath, and they justified that in their own hearts. It's a hard heart. And we get that way if we're not in fellowship with Christ. Wisdom will do that to you. A life that's full of service and void of fellowship is a life that's being lived in your own strength. It won't last very long. It may seem fruitful for a time, but ultimately it will be devastating, and it will not produce good effects. So let's go to John 15 to finish it out. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And I'll stop there. We get several things from John 15, especially as it relates to having fellowship with Christ, and the analogy there as the vine, and the husbandman, and the branches, and the fruit. Verses 1 through 6, we gain this truth. You can't do anything unless you're abiding in Christ. You can't do a thing. You won't be fruitful. You won't be effective. You won't be anything if you're not abiding in Christ. If that's where we're starting with John 15, that's a pretty sobering eye-opener, isn't it? If that's where I'm starting with my own life, then I've got to automatically start thinking, okay, wait a second, how much time am I spending abiding in Christ? How much time am I spending trying to have fellowship with Christ? And then how do I weigh that against how, all the things that I'm doing? And I'm talking about me particularly as a pastor, trying to build people up spiritually, trying to do uh, uh, pastoral work with folks, trying to do counseling work with folks trying to do anything, trying to be a father, trying to be a husband, trying to be a leader in my family, how much time am I spending in fellowship with Christ, or am I making the time, I don't want to say how much, am I making the time that I need to make to spend or to abide, to have fellowship with Christ, or am I just trying to do everything on my own? A lot of times when you weigh those things out, it can be pretty convicting, can't it? Now, let me make this clarification. I should not have said how much time, because how much time is not necessarily what we're looking at. If we're not careful, we can feel guilty that we're not spending 23 at every 24 hours reading the Bible, and that's not what you're called to do. God didn't call you to do that. Uh, you ought to have a time where you're in the Word. But as far as the fellowship and all that that comes, that's going to come with, with, with you responding to the Word, you being influenced by the Word, you you taking your life and conforming it to the Word. So you want to know how you have fellowship with Christ? Well, you repent whenever you find yourself in a sinful state. Uh, you, you have two choices to make. Well, then you, you see if you have clear biblical understanding on what that means, you, you, you follow what God says there. If you don't have clear biblical understanding, you go back and you get it. It means you put God's kingdom first. It means whenever you have opportunities that come up, per opportunity, you do your best to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind. So that's what, that's what it means to have fellowship with Christ. You're walking in a common way with God. You're walking in a common way with Christ. You're walking with Him. You see, it's not a complex idea. Sometimes it can, we can kind of make it one, but it's, it's not a complex idea. It means you would do what God's doing. And as you do that, you're relying on Him for the strength to do it. So that as you find that you're weak in certain areas, you pray that the Lord would strengthen you in those areas. If you find that you're uh, uh, lacking or you're needy, then you go to Him for the strength you need. Because the truth is, in verses 1 through 6 of John 15, outside of abiding in Him, you can't do anything. In verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, my word abides in you. I'm sorry, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So Jesus tells us that part of abiding in him is having his words abiding in you. So while you're not called to, and you may not do that, we talk to folks a pretty good bit that feel like uh, the measure of how spiritual they are is how much time they've spent in Bible study. And that's not the measure. You should spend time in Bible study. You need to know Bible study, but you ought to spend twice as much time applying it to your life as you do actually with your nose in the book. You ought to know what's there. But if you want to measure your fruitfulness, fruitfulness is something that you actually do with what you have, not necessarily gathering stuff together. You're abiding in Him. You're, his Word is abiding in you. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Okay? So you have fellowship with Him. His words abiding in you. And as that happens, it says you're fruitful. It says you're fruitful. The Word finds good ground. If we're thinking about the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, the Word finds good ground. The seed finds good ground in your heart. And you know that it's found good ground because it's had an effect on what you're doing. You're becoming more and more, I guess what we call godly, growing in godliness. And just to kind of brief, maybe frame how you might think about that, godliness or being godly, godly is not something that you are, it's something that you do. Godly is not something that you are, it's something that you do godly actions, godly responses, godly living, sanctified living. It's all the same thing there. And as you bring forth fruit, you glorify God. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Abide. The word continue there is the same word for abide. He says continue in my love. Abide in my love. Stay in my love. How do you do that? Verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you. "...that My joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be fulfilled. This is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greatest, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends." And he continued to go on there. But if you want to know how it is that you abide, how you continue in Jesus' love, this is what He says, "...I have spoken these things unto you, that you might have joy, and that My joy might remain in you, and that you might be full, or your joy might be full." And so while you don't have to be in God's Word 24 hours or 23 hours out of every 24, you do have to be in His Word some. you got to know what He says. If you're trying to have fellowship with Christ by telling Him what He needs to do, that's not fellowship. Fellowship with Christ means He's telling you what to do and you're doing it. You're living in a relationship with Him in a proper way so that He's the creator of the universe. He's the Savior of your soul. He's your master. And in the picture that is used in the New Testament so many times, He's the master and you're the servant. So that as as He reveals His will then that's what you do. The master-servant picture is a really good picture of fellowship. Two people working toward the same goal in different capacities. I want you to know as you think about God's will for your life, you ought to think about the specific areas that you might have that you're wondering about. You know, you should think about it in, in all the ways we talked about this morning. But I want you to know if you're thinking about God's will for your life outside of the idea of having fellowship with God, you don't really have much. For the Christian, God's highest calling for you is fellowship. If you're so busy doing everything else that you don't have time to spend time with God and you don't have time to have fellowship with God, you're not even doing what you think you're doing. For a church that's kind of wondering what might happen in the future, where are we going from here, if I could prioritize what I need to do to further this as much, the best I can, to do what God has called me to do, I would encourage you, the best thing you can do right now is have fellowship with the Lord. Pray for a pastor. That's going to be part of that. Pray that the Lord would send you a pastor. But not just that. Pray that the Lord would open yourself up, open your heart up to you, and as you find those areas in your life that are inconsistent with God's calling on your life, repent from those. Get help for those. Come, come, uh, 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 Confess your faults one to another. I don't mean you get up and air down all your dirty laundry, but I just mean you find somebody, a mature Christian, that can help you, and you find help with that. You take sin seriously. You take God seriously. And when you do that, you'll find yourself in fellowship, and as you remain or you abide or you continue in fellowship with Christ, well, then your service will be blessed. And the reason is because his goal will be your goal when it comes to service. So many times our goal is our goal, right? I've got a, one of the things I hope I can do one of these days is, is branch out and, and, and be a biblical counselor to the community at New Albany. You want to know what a big reason for that is right now? Because I want folks to think I'm smart and know more Bible than they do. I mean, I'm just being honest. That's part of it. I want people to think that guy, Lewis, really knows a lot about the Bible, even more than my pastor here who couldn't have come up with that stuff that he said about it. You see, that's, that tells me I've got a lot more fellowship that I need to be in with God before I'm ready to do that. Part of that is going to be confessing that sin, which I do. But the other part is having God's Word transform my heart to when I look at the community that I'm in, that it's not just me wanting to look smart or look holy or look spiritual to a bunch of folks, but it's me wanting to take on the same capacity that Christ took on there where he looked at the multitudes and he had compassion. These are broken, hurting people. And what they need is not a professor that's so impressed with how smart he is. What they need is someone who, with compassion, can come and minister and love and apply God's Word. I don't know what God's called you to do. I don't know what your interests are. But whatever they are, I would encourage you to take those things into fellowship with Christ and open up your heart so that he could weed out all those things in there that need to be weeded out. And as you do that, no matter what ends up happening as far as the church situation here goes, God will bless your life. He'll bless your life. As you give up your agenda and you embrace his agenda, he will bless your life. So that's what I have this afternoon, a call to fellowship, a call to fellowship, where wisdom really becomes wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we uh, we thank you that you you don't just call us to, um, to process information and then uh, spit it out at just the right time, but you call us, uh, Lord, to take your word that you've given us and to respond to that because you've revealed yourself in it and to have communion with You, to have fellowship with You, to have a commonality with You. You've called us to Yourself. You've reconciled us to You through Your Son. And then You've just called us to grow in that, spend time with You. And so I pray that You would be with the church here. I pray that You would be with uh, my life in this area and that You would bless the real me uh, to come to You on a regular basis um, to be put under the microscope and that I would obey when You call me to make changes, when You call me to... Um, make those uh, sacrifices that need to be made, to do those awkward, uncomfortable things that need to be done in order to uh, be in fellowship with you and to obey you. Uh, Teach us more about who you are, Lord, and reveal more and more of your strength to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.